Was the 1980s the best decade for synthesizers? Let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s from a couple of idiots. Welcome to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my good friend. Oh, I'm, I'm back could, to being a good I friend I couldn't live now. without him. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and co-host Ray. Hey, Ray. How we doing? Doing well. And also joining us in the Rumpus Room is our guest. He's a composer, a conductor, a digital artist, and an academic. His music has premiered at nationally recognized festivals, such as the Third Practice Festival of Electroacoustic Music and Electronic Music Midwest, among many other festivals. The Cleveland Plain Dealer described his compositions as bursting with inventive, energetic spirit. As a professor, he's taught at Ursinus College, Oberlin College Conservatory of Music, and the University of Mary Washington. Please welcome Dr. Michael Brett. Hi. Hi, everybody. And Mike's here with us today because we're going to be talking about 1980s synthesizer music, I guess generally, but let's get into the nuts and bolts. I would say no pun intended, but the part aren't well, there are nuts and bolts in a synthesizer. There are nuts and bolts? Okay, in a synthesizer. <laughs> it's a nuts and bolts system? So you confirmed that. There are nuts Good. and bolts in a synthesizer. So That's yeah, true. So we can get into the nitty-gritty somewhat. I like being wonky. But before we talk to Mike about nerdy things, let's talk 80s news. All right, I'm taking over 80s news again. So the, the queen of I Love Rock and Roll just yes. played at the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Oh, yeah. You did not see that, did you? I did not know that. You know why? Because you don't watch baseball. Oh, is that how, is that is this how you... the uh, baseball the the one like the world versus Cleveland? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, everyone's against Cleveland, but yes, right. um, this is Major League Baseball's All Star Game, and it was here in Cleveland this year, and they had oh. Joan Jett right there on the that's exciting field playing her songs. I love rock and roll, and she wrote "I Love Rock and Roll," which is like an '80s anthem, right? So that counts as '80s news. That is yes. And Thumbs up. And gives, you're right, because you both of you follow sports and watch um, sports. Sometimes. Some sports, sometimes. Well, okay, so in a hierarchy of who knows sports, I'd be at the bottom. Might, okay, might be probably like the middle, in the middle tier. Okay. Middle to bottom. <laughs> so when you say all-star baseball game, it's what it sounds like. It's like the best players of various... Yes, that, that would be the best players as voted on by the fans, the players, and the coaches get to play in a game. Right. And... Then they duke it out, and whoever wins gets home field advantage in the World Series. Oh, it has, actually has an effect. It has meaning effect. now. It has yes. an effect. How long has it had an effect, though? It hasn't been that long. Okay. So it's kind of like battle. And I, and I don't think the players even care about it at all. Okay. It's whatsoever. Fun. It's just fun for them. It's like Battle of the Network Stars, but sports. It's kind of like that, yeah. See, that would be exciting if I liked sports. That sounds like the only sporting maybe event I'd watch. Is That'd be kind of cool. It's like a crossover. You know, when you have a crossover in movies or something. Well, you know, for the first time this year, I got to watch the Home Run Derby. Has anyone ever watched the Home Run Derby oh, I before? I love the Home Which Run is, Derby. They're just hitting home runs, like it's, left and right. And so in, in, it's in, great. And the idea is that they hit the home runs. So someone pitch it in such a way that they want them to be able to hit yes, the ball? Yes, yes. And so uh, there's this guy who hit like 40 home runs in three minutes, which was insane. Yes. The home run derby is the big sell. Basically. And then he hit the most, but he didn't actually win it, though, because it does like a bracket system of, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that just yes, that'd be awful. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Right, right. It yes, was Vladimir. Sir. He's on my fantasy team. Fantasy baseball team? Yeah, you know I do everything fantasy yeah, sports. Yeah, I remember that now. 
I remember I didn't do that because even though I don't know sports, I do. I am on your fantasy football league because because you needed a person one year and I just stayed. Did you yes. win? No. But how, I, did, how did you do not knowing actually, anything? No, he actually does really well. Yeah, I've done yeah. well before well, because I just watched the numbers and I don't even watch the games. I just watch the numbers. He's playing Moneyball over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am the what is the, who is that Jonah Hill character? Mm-hmm. That's enough of that nonsense. <laughs> No more moving on. Radio Gold. Right no more here. questions. Moving yes. on. It's all staying in. Chernobyl. Oh, great. HBO has a show called Chernobyl. Yeah, it looks really good. I haven't seen it yet, but my wife really wants to see it. A lot of people have enjoyed this show so much that tourism is up 40% to Chernobyl. Now, I wouldn't think that's a place you can tour, like allowed to tour. It's just kind of funny that there's this like horrible thing that happened here. Now everyone's like, you know what? Let's I got to go. Th- I got to go there. Take the kids. Let's make a theme park it's, out uh, of it. Well, it's actually... That's a part of it is is that people are getting mad because people aren't being very respectful there. They're taking selfies and, you know. Uh, this is Americans probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't going to peg us for being the only ones, but, yeah, it's but mostly probably, Americans. You never hear yeah. the world go, oh, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? It's like Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like uh, Tank 4 is covered in a steel blanket, basically. And they're like, yeah, come on over. You can have uh, dinner in the cafe, and people are doing this. And are they leaving with superpowers? No. But I, I have to ask that. you, <laughs> would, would I go there if I could get superpowers? Would you go to Chernobyl if I, on vacation? If you had to pick that over, like, Fort Lauderdale or no! North Carolina? Well, I mean, it's definitely not number one, right? Like, I mean, it would have to be, like, a Sophie's Choice of, like, do you want uh, Nagasaki or do you yeah. want Chernobyl? <laughs> well, Wait, Nagasaki on uh, the day the bomb was dropped? <laughs> right. No, no, no. Unless I could get superpowers. I don't think I they're... Yeah, it. you're not getting superpowers, but you're getting lunch, so... You might be sterile. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, when they serve the food in the cafeteria, it's not the original food, I, I wouldn't think. Because then maybe you'd get... The original food from 1986 or whatever it was that <laughs> Chernobyl happened? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's not. They probably have some canned food there still. Yeah. I'm sure. And, and a time capsule. Honestly, it, so isn't it like the half-life of whatever happened still another 500 years or something? Oh, I'm not the person to ask about Wouldn't that. you have to wear a hazmat suit to be in there? Well, I would uh, think. It is Russia. So pretty much anything goes because they tell you that, but... That guy who does all the weird stuff with uh, crazy fish, the giant fish and stuff, he caught one of their like catfish in the river there. Yeah, and it was half the size it was supposed to be. So it's having the opposite effect that you would you would think it's supposed to make giant mutant fish. Tell us, but it did the opposite. It shrunk it. I mean, I know nothing about this situation, and now I know why you call this the idiots. um, Yeah, exactly. Because we're just going to kind of vamp. That's the idiots part. Yeah, the idiots part of it. There's this uh, show on Netflix called uh, Strange Tourism. I want to say, or something like that. But this guy goes around from place to place, mainly it's places like that have had nuclear fallout or something like that, and then sees what the civilization's like today, or he just goes to like weird places. But 90% of it is like that. Generally, you know, as a human, I, I th- you were, were taught to avoid those kinds of situations. You know, well, if you get somebody a camera, though, they're going to want to. I guess no, make some money off of it. Yeah, we grew up in the '80s, though, so anything involving well, nuclear yeah. or anything like that, we know it's bad, so we're not going to go there. That yeah, I mean, that's point. a low bar, but yeah, <laughs> I understand <laughs> right. what you're saying. Okay, let me just say three words that may bring fear into your heart: the day after. Ooh, right? Yes, yeah. Remember right. that show that scared the crap out of me? That show. It still does. No. All right, so it I had, I had a, for me. Ray knows I had a low threshold for being scared generally, but because Ray was watching Friday the Thirteenth yeah, when he was four years old or something. When I was a kid, so that one was just like, eh, this is kind of 
Where's the monsters? Yeah. I, I want some nuclear monsters in this thing. Then we got a show. Right. I think a lot of kids were more like me, Ray, and a fearful of nuclear war because we were told so often it's, you know, imminent. It's imminent. Yeah. And it's going to happen, and it's going to be Russia. And now we're being told that again. Well, once again, though, you just get in the hallway, hunker yes. down right. with your you're, hands over your head, and, and, and as you everything's say, fine. You're gonna yeah. be, you're, you're, you'll be fine. Just, just ride it out. You'll be fine. <laughs> I do remember, I mean, we didn't have the kind of uh, drills where people would have to go under desks like they did in, uh, you know, during World War II or something. But I remember having some kind of drills like that No, we, I remember actually sitting in hallways, right? Okay. Like next oh, so to people yeah. uncomfortably. Yeah, right. Right. That's how we did it here. Yeah. Okay. With I'll our see. hands over our heads in between our knees. And then a uh, teacher would be like, okay, it's over. And then we get up. See, you guys are awkwardly. in the Midwest. So in, in the yeah. East Coast, we knew we were f- we were going to be dead. <laughs> they were going to bomb New York or Washington, D.C., and we were dead. So we didn't do those kinds of things. I remember doing a hurricane uh, drill once because that was more likely we'd get killed by a hurricane. Yeah, we just, we just uh, hunkered down in the hallway and then watched uh, Road Warrior and Mad Max movies. Yeah, and they were right. like, this is what you're going to have to deal with in the <laughs> aftermath. The inevitable. That this was is what's going to happen. That was an econ class in the 80s. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Mad Max. Who's going to be going after the gasoline? You, were, you wanted to wield the boomerang to cut people's fingers off. I, I could probably do both. I could see I you mean, as a young 80s kid with the long hair mm-hmm. grunting. Yeah. <laughs> what was that character's name? And Re- wearing some sort of BDSM like outfit, yeah, in the, or you the know, desert fur underwear. Yeah. Uh, fur underwear is tight. What else you got? Nothing. That's that's it for eighties news. That was the eighties news. That oh my gosh! That's eighties wow. news. Uh, now we just up. turn the mic and stare awkwardly as he leads the rest of the well, show. Actually, no. I actually ha- I have to do my uh, my Stranger Things uh, season three update. No spoilers. Because I noticed something okay. really cool. This is cool. now a spoiler-free This is spoiler-free, so you don't have to freak out and shut it off. Everyone already has seen what I'm about to talk about. Okay. If okay. you've even watched anything. So I noticed something about the character of Steve. Okay. okay. Beyond he, the hair. Beyond, well. Great hair. Yes, has great hair. But have you noticed he his character bears a striking resemblance to Brad from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, he did. They both yes. lost their girlfriends. They ended up wearing... Uh, Brad worked at uh, Captain Hook's Fish yeah. and Chips. Oh, yeah. Wore the costume. It ruined his mojo with the ladies. That's impressive. Right. I think they stole you know, Brad's character from Fast Times. They, because what does Dustin say to him when they're sitting there and Dustin's describing his new girlfriend mm-hmm. to Steve? Susie Q... Looks, so looks like, like Phoebe Cates. Right. And who does oh, Brad gosh, of course. do stuff about? Um, it's Phoebe Cates. It's Phoebe Cates. It's all full circle. There's full no one circle. can convince me otherwise. Yeah. Well, it's no secret either that they do that. I mean, they just take a bunch of 80s properties and find a way to do an homage yes, in there. But the Scoops Ahoy costumes have been linked to the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters. Oh, no, no. From no. Ghostbusters. You really? got it. I don't know. That seems... Seems oh, like it's all over thing. YouTube, buddy. I bet, I bet, I bet. We got to get your theory on but our It's out there and... now, and I'm taking credit. I'm sure okay. there's some other schmo sitting at home going, this is exactly what happened, but he don't have a podcast, and I do. Right. I'm taking the credit. You have the power of a nascent podcast. And I can't Ray. drop this mic because it's stuck on the stand still. I keep, week after week. You know what, Ray? Good for you. Good for you for owning that. <laughs> for owning what you're not able to do for your limitations. Well, that's really cool. And I, I did notice a bunch of things, but nothing that I observed was was as uh, inside, I guess, is what you're noticing. Fairly obvious. But that's one of the things I love about that show is all these little, whether you realize it consciously or subconsciously, there's all these 80s properties that are, you know, uh, we're reminded of. It's so clever how they pack it all together, too. 
Yeah, and they're still able to keep and tell a cogent story that's all about characters over effects, even though right. the effects are wonderful. It's just it's, it's a wonderful show. And the story itself seems original. Like the tropes that they have from 80s films aren't necessarily the story. It's just these visual things. It's maybe character stuff. Yeah. A certain scene or an image or a look for something, yeah. Hopper has never been funnier. Isn't that season? I love Maybe he's a little he's too awesome. comedic. I don't know. Maybe really? everybody want, wants him like kicking butt or something. But I, I like. Funny I might Hopper. be an episode ahead of you now that I think about it. Maybe you are because he wasn't that funny in this episode that I saw. Oh, I, I can, mean he's definitely funny, but I can tell you this: I would watch a comedy with Steve and Robin working together if it was just a regular comedy. Yeah, hmm. they could uh, release that on Netflix tomorrow, and I'd watch every season they put out. Those two, Steve and Dustin. He can be there too. Okay. Because eventually he's got to get a job. That's hmm. right. He's so, got to eat. He's got to eat too, yeah. See, so, now yeah. I can't help but try to find spoilers in what Ray's saying. So Dustin might survive then. No, now, don't say anything. Keep a straight poker face. Do you think I'm they're going to kill a kid? I'm thinking they hey, may kill off a kid. Here's what I'm going to tell you about be a every season franchise, all right? After the first season, there's money involved with characters. So to keep them alive. But I think a second season kid may be on the line. We're talking Max. Yeah, I think Max could. Could go. I guess she's the only one. Maybe. Robin's a season three character. Why have you guys not binge watched this thing already? Because I've, uh, I'm from out of state. You could just <laughs> like <laughs> it's only been out for like how in long? The first, been... In the first four days, this thing was out. Forty point one million people binge watched this thing. Yeah, I get it. I just, you know, I've had a life. Yeah. You can I say mean, that. I don't. I, no, now you can I say that. Like I knew you wanted to say that originally. I, I like, what are you doing? At, what are you doing at midnight? I just condemned the entire audience, right? Like, like, <laughs> no, people are clicking off. Life. Which, after I talk about synthesis, they're going to be like, uh, yeah. "No, he clearly does not have a life." Like that's true. They're gonna, they're gonna he certainly can't this. have a wife and kids. Uh, definitely does not. Who would reproduce right? with him? Right. Who would want to share their bed? Actually, with him? we do um, reproduce. Oh, there you go. I know the answer. I know the answer. So there, Howard Jones. We're still waiting for the answer. Yeah. Howard <laughs> or Thomas Dolby. Right. She blinded me. Look science. at that. And there we go. Just somehow finding a segue into talking about our main topic today. So, hey, let's just get this out there. I love synthesizers. I I'm not ashamed to say it. This I'm not ashamed be, to say it either. I, I, I tricked you into saying it. I don't love synthesizers. I still but love now synthesizers. You've got, okay. No, I got it. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I love, I'm good uh, with it. All right. I'm secure with myself. I love synth, synthesizers. I love synth music. And they were such a big part of 80s music. Obviously, synth music began before the 1980s. It was... Used not to a great, not not a great extent as it was ultimately eighties, but we had music. Uh, oh, certainly before that. And I, I actually, I would. I mean, I know that I, what I'm here to do, right, is to tell you that without a doubt, unequivocally. No, 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 is, no. Right. You haven't heard the new thing. No, that, no. We're objective. The, we're objective it's, now. Yes. No. It's Ob- always been objective. But here's the thing that I, I we've realized in raising the heat. We haven't realized this. We could be wrong. Right, no, like, I, I, and that's just what I'm going to say. And that's that okay. We might be wrong. I don't know if I can go around and say that the 80s are the greatest era. Oh, we're taking this out. Mike, and, get out. No, no, no. That's why, <laughs> that's why I'm here right. to help you realize. I, I'm, I'm not, not going to say whether or not really, that's my opinion until the end. I wish we had another Correct. I wish we had another professor on standby that we could bring in now and kick Mike out. This guy sits down. <laughs> he comes in with a keyboard. He's like, oh, a shirt that says, I love 80s so you, synthesizer. You, I mean, I just he, can't sit here and lie to yeah, you. No, we don't want you to lie. The, uh, the Revenge of the Nerds song. Oh, yeah. He's, and he's got the guitar, yeah. the, the, key, key the guitar. Yeah. yeah. 
I always wanted it. No, but, you should be truthful. Honestly, you should be honestly, honest. Honestly, though, I think the 80s, um, as far as synthesizers are concerned, hold a really wonderful and special place in terms of what happens with the synthesizer as an instrument. But we can talk about, let, let's talk about yeah, it. So, let's talk about, uh, again, again, briefly. So, you know, you, you're the professor of it. So, but uh, just going through some brief things, and you can correct me. Synthesizers re- were used in early music. The first, one of the first recordings of synthesizer in music that I found was a reference to uh, the Beach Boys in Pet Sounds, where I believe, well, yep. they used a theremin, right. famously, which would be a form of electronic music. I think it was on the Surfing USA album. Okay. Was it not? Um, the, yeah, what I found, what, I think the refer- reference I had was Pet, pet Sounds, but it might be it, I, I'm, Let's go with that, yeah, because sure. I don't have anything in front of me. I'm just going We off. don't deal in facts here, sir, so. Head. Um, and, and one of the most, I guess, and at that time in the 60s, uh, so that made, made a bit, so they, the Beast Boys certainly used a theremin. We know that, the, we've heard, you've heard that. <gasps> Yeah, and Ray's doing the gesture as if he's playing one right Right, now. and for anybody who doesn't know what a theremin is, it's the only instrument that you don't play with your hands. There's actual radio waves that you manipulate going back and forth with it. So it's the sound of basically science fiction music in the 1950s. Like, it came from outer space, and um, right. so yeah, like any of those, like, like Clara yeah, Rockmore Anything that Michael Winslow. Yes, yeah. the, uh, um, the singer from The Bad Brains loves that thing. Oh. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I have a theremin at home. It's wonderful. But, but then moving towards more what we understand to be a synthesizer, the Moog. The Moog. Mo- the, okay, we can, you know, it has two O's in it. But taking a step it back, actually. It has two actually, O's in it, but it's, I, it's pronounced Moog. I skipped past the Mellotron. Oh, okay. You, you, that's the one you're... Well, yes, yeah, let's talk about the, the well-known Mellotron, <laughs> right. which I think was interesting only because I didn't realize that, and of course you know because you're a professor of it, is that it actually used physical media. So sure. before we had synths that were, you know, just self-contained digits playing, you know, uh, samples, electronic samples of sounds... It actually manipulated tapes, rolled tapes back on tape heads to create the different layers, you know, different layer, different sounds together to make the sounds. Oh, that was pretty cool. So then I want to f- move forward to the Moog. Yeah. Is it mm. really Moog? It's really Moog. Now, no one it's says Bob, that. No, it... Even it, you've heard of the Moog. It's kind of like GIF. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? You mean a GIF? Yeah, you oh. know what I'm saying. And so, and the Moog was, uh, that was an analog synthesizer, right? Yeah. All right, so um, what happened then... Uh, there was basically, if we go back through the 1950s, or the 19, we'll say 30s and 40s, there, in France, there is this um, company called the Radio T- Television Francois, which was head by this guy named, uh, this is way more information you want to know, um, we'll Pierre Schaeffer, who, who basically uh, was creating new sounds of this kind of music called music concrete, where you he would create yes. new music by recording sounds and then playing them back. You can think of that as being like the first sampling. And, and the concrete refers to the fact that he's using physical media? <laughs> yeah, that he's using physical media and it never changes. Like, And it's all, only re- recordings of actual things. Um, and some of his students then went off to do other studios. So uh, Bruno Moderna did a studio in Italy, and then uh, probably more famously is Karl-Heinz Stockhausen did a studio oh, in yeah, Germany. Carl. Carl. Famous. Everybody likes Carl. I got a T-shirt with him on it. Um, I love Carl. Yeah, and so Stockhausen Studio in Cologne uh, was one of the s- sort of studios where they came up with like ring modulation and some of the first oscillators, and um, really started developing early synthesizers. Uh, and you could say f- from there, then w- things that were basically used um, for science, or they were used for science. Specialists. Science uh, then. People would want to make them so they could use them in their homes, right? And that's what Bob Moog is trying to do, right? He's yeah. trying to make a smaller synthesizer so we can sell it out to yeah, the public. Yeah, but are you skipping to the mini Moog? Because, I mean, the first Moog, wasn't it several thousand dollars? And no yeah, and wires. To... But, I mean, t- take that as compared to what 
um, Bell Laboratories was oh, doing was like, like a $50,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the other, the other person on the other end of this, um, this equation then is this guy named Don Buchla, who is this uh, West Coast synthesis guy. And those machines are crazy experimental through universities. Um, and they run on the principle of like additive synthesis. And Bob Moog is using something called subtractive, subtractive synthesis. synthesis. And then there's the whole East Coast versus West Coast debate, which is um, like the gangster rap. Yeah. Like the gangster rap. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so the fact that Moog's trying to make one that comes home, it's, it's, it's fascinating that you say that because, they get, you know, so people don't know the thing was physically large. Oh, it was huge. cost more money than any. You know, a resident, just a normal consumer could afford, right? Um, but it was still in people's homes. Um, you could actually okay. go to a store and buy it, right? As opposed to I see. having to, Pay like, if you wanted to learn, could. right? Then you would have to go to Paris, or you'd have to go to Cologne, or you'd have to go to Italy, or something like that. But now people can actually get it. Gotcha. Okay, so and ultimately he makes. And I'm skipping ahead, I know, but in the 70s he does make a smaller version, tries to actually make it more commercial. That's where we right. get our right, and that's where you get the mini Moog, and that's where you get Wendy Carlos and switched on Bach, and right, and you don't have that. to worry about. Um, oh, that reminds me of something. Okay, and you don't have to worry too much about. So folks know also uh, an analog synthesis, unlike a digital synthesis, you've got a bunch of. Uh, actually, about we're going to talk about this too. Oh, we are. Okay, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I don't yeah. want to skip ahead. No, but it's it, fine. It did have. I mean, we're talking about the original, the earlier model, certainly. Actually, had physical cables. I know you're still into this now. Physical oh, yeah. cables to move to change the sounds. And whereas then the Mini Moog was more internal, you were actually moving cables by flipping switches and things like that. So, you know, you brought up Wendy Carlos. And, yes. Well, um, I think it's important. Yes. And so, and Wendy Carlos, I guess, was one of the early adopters as far as commercially producing an album that used a synthesizer. And she did cover versions essentially of classical music. Right. So you think about the Stanley Kubrick. Um, I mean, right. that's a really famous right. example is like the, um, a clockwork orange. I'm blanking out right. now that I'm, I feel like I'm on the spot, but yeah, a uh, clockwork orange, all that music of like, uh, what is it? Music, Mer- uh, Beethoven was one of the versions of that, that were sort of, uh, reproduced through the Moog synthesizers and early 70s synthesizers, by the way, were really concerned with trying to create sounds electronically that sounded like other instruments. Like we'll replace instruments with electronics. That was, people are really excited about that idea. So, so I've got an example. This is from Les Baxter's album. Okay. So Les Baxter did a similar thing like Wendy Carlos did on uh, his album was called, oh, he called it Moog Rock. Or Moog Rock, sorry. <laughs> Moog Rock. Mike is looking at me with such disdain. <laughs> I think he actually you did pronounce it I better, it I better look this up to make sure that, I mean, I'm Ooh, like, I'm like 90% sure. Yeah, I'm, I really feel like I'm going to get a ton of I, I'm going to go with stuff. Moog because it, he probably O's. mispronounced it also. So what is it? What, what, what would he Stop say it. that a cow says? Mow. Mo. <laughs> hey, Mo. Well, I have an example. I wanted to play this for Ray, and you, you can play. I didn't, you know. I'm glad you're here, so you can play along too. But so, Ray, at <laughs> yeah, some point, yeah. at some point, we're going to talk about um, hip hop music, in particular, in the '80s, and how you know sampling, uh, you know, allowed more uh, folks, sort of almost democratized, I guess, uh, music production. Having sampling. Oh, uh, Mike's now proving. Let's see how to prove. I, I think. All right, Mal, is it Mog pronounced Yules? Yeah, it's pronounced Moog, often anglicized a Moog. Gotcha. All right, well, we're Angles. Okay, we're Angles. We're obtuse Angles, Mike. <laughs> no, okay. So I'm going to play a piece of uh, from Les Baxter, who did something like Wendy Carlos. So he he took these classical music pieces, played them on a Moog, mm-hmm. played them on a Moog, and I'm going to play this because this one actually gets sampled in the I want to see the 2000s, the late 90s by a uh, hip-hop group, okay? Let's see if you could recognize it. 
All right, so here I'm going to skip to the piece of the music that is sampled. A late '90s group. So I'm going to play this on an '80s podcast. The group started came to prominence in the '80s, but this album was in the very end of the '90s. I'm pretty sure. I should know. Here's the piece. That's that part right there. Only because I know you so yep, well. Yep, okay. I'm going to guess Beastie Boys. Okay, you're got that's right. This is Beastie Boys. <laughs> but it's actually a complete guess because you know I don't know hip hop. Okay. Yeah. So the Beastie Boys actually sampled that on the song Intergalactic. There you go. What was the point of this exercise? I was just trying to get that, you know. You were just messing with me. I was just you trying didn't to mess with you. I get the answer right, but I did. Well, there you go. You got 50. And Guess half I believe Wendy Carlos is a real stickler about her rights on her songs. So that's why you don't find a whole lot of Wendy Carlos. Yeah, and that's actually less available on the, so, on the internet at all. Like, yeah. It's oh, really hard, I didn't it's notice. It's really hard that. to find. Yeah, I guess you stuff. could probably buy the album, uh, um, th- that particular. I think that's oh. the only way you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyway, there you go. I don't, um, I don't so, know. Though. All right, so let's skip ahead as we're... That's what? actually the first question I've gotten right that you've asked me on the there show so far. There you go, Ray. Boom. Well, you didn't get the song. I'll give you half. I'll give you I half. Got, I got all that theater stuff wrong. You know, that, I got all the award yeah. no, stuff you're on, wrong. You're on fire now because you got the Stranger Thanks, Things, Google. right? Yeah, I now did. you got this, so I feel like... We're, we're on the rise. This is Ray's show. Yes. So We're just living and in And just so folks know, I guess, when we're talking about this, you know, these fairly inside, you know, wonky sort of things about synthesizers, but ultimately we want to talk about this because how they were used in, in popular music. Right. And I think actually the reason why I set that stage with, um, yeah. you know, using synthesizers as a way to sort of like create the sounds of other instruments, like that plays a huge effect into what happens in the 80s. So in the Moog, you had folks, you know, everyone from uh, Moody Blues to Genesis using them pretty early on. But I thought it was interesting that Queen was actually against using synthesizers so much so that in the liner notes of one of their albums, they actually went out of their way to say that we did not use any synthesizers. No synthesizers were harmed in the making <laughs> in of the this album. the production of this, right. Yeah. And also that early punk rock rejected it because it wasn't an authentic way of creating music. Well, that's not entirely true. There are a lot of punk bands mm-hmm. that actually liked it. Well, yeah. I was going to mention one, too. I got this all from Wikipedia. But um, they, they actually point out in this article that the... I wanted to know if you'd heard of these guys. The American duo Suicide yes. said rose uh, from the post-punk scene uh, utilizing drum machines and synthesizers. So they, they were uh, created more of a hybrid of the Yeah, you have to remember that sound. early punk rock was about experimentation and your personal experience with music, and most of them really couldn't play anything. So they just branched off from there and said, here's a synthesizer, let's give it a go. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, so they, yeah, they, they dabbled. I wouldn't say they were very good at it. So, so everybody from the, the Beatles to the Beastie Boys to Human League, Devo, were using uh, synthesizers mm-hmm. in their Bad brains. They, days they, there. So, they, everybody dabbled. So, yeah, so where can we go from here? All right, so um, I'm a big fan of the movie High Fidelity. You yeah, oh, yeah, that? absolutely. Like, I thought I'd make a top, well, I thought when I would come in here, I would just be like, I'm going to make a top five list. Okay. Of like my favorite synthesizers in the 80s yep. and who they used. And then I was thinking, well, if I did five, it would take forever um, okay. because I would just be sitting here waxing poetic about all these synthesizers. So I, I cut the list down to three Not sure if you're gonna need and then I made it a, uh, a list of three synthesizers and I tried to pick one in each main category of synthesizer. Um, so the limits I put on this list are that there's three of them, uh, that there's going to be one monophonic synth. Okay. One polyphonic synth. Okay. We can talk about what those mean in a sure. second, too. Okay. And one digital synth. Okay. 
And then... Oh, so the monophonic and polyphonic are analog synths. Right. So there's two analog synths and one digital synth. Wow. All right. I'm already... Well, okay. 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 We're good. We're good. Another thing that I would look at is I would look, if I used a synth from one company, yep. I couldn't reuse it again in any of the other answers. Okay. So if I use Moog in one answer, <laughs> I can't use Moog in any of the if other you, two answers. If you use Moog in one answer, could you use a Moog in the other? Oh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't use Moog in any of the oh. answers. So Oh, now we're definitely, now, now we're, talking, we're I'm on, feeling less confident now. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy, right? Because yeah. it's and the Mini Moog is like one of the, the biggest yes. synthesizers of the, the only era. one I know. So I'm I'm doing this all I to explain because oh, a couple God. of these a couple of these are very sort of there's one really controversial choice I'm going to make. So I know that there's the people out there who know, who know what I'm talking about. So I want to make sure that I'm I am uh, explaining myself clearly. Does it as use child labor? Yeah, right. to work. <laughs> no, it's, it's you press fine. a button and a bunch of kids run out and bang on pots and pans. The other thing I want to do is I want to get uh, synthesizers that have a lot of influence on different genres, okay, and represent a lot of different types of music. Okay. So at the end of the day, I'm not talking about sort of one synthesizer, but I'm sort of talking about the '80s in general. Wow. Right? Okay. Cool. And so those were the those were the constraints that I sort of put on this I list. feel like, you know, you coming on the show helped you develop a syllabus for a future class. That I'll never teach. Yeah, maybe. I I, maybe teach I could teach us. like analog synthesis or something like that. But all right. So monophonic synth. A monophonic synth basically means that we're only, it has an oscillator or maybe two oscillators, but you can only play one note at a time. So if you were to actually put your hand down and play like two notes, um, the oscillator will play whatever note you played last. Oh. And an oscillator is just something that makes sense. It oscillates, right? I see. So that when you do a lead... Right, when you do, and that's what's really great about monophonic synthesizers. I think a lot of people think, well, that synthesizer sucks. It only plays one note. Why would you want a synthesizer that plays one note? It's great for lead lines, yeah. right? And you can get all these like crazy sort of, um, they, they just play not like anything else that's out there. So the runner up synth, because there's tons of these synths out there that I want to sort of represent. So I want to tip my hat to a runner up before we go ahead and I tell you like what the oh, like one is. So show. if we're gonna have like <laughs> a drum roll, the runner up for the mono, monophonic synth is gonna be the Oberheim SEM. Uh, Tom Oberheim oh. from Oberheim Electronics SEM, the synthesizer that was the lead line in Van Halen's Jump. Oh, okay. Right. So now you you're, now you're like now. okay, I'm now, now I get it. Okay. Right, right. right. So I understand. Um, that's not the one I'm picking. Oh. The, the synth Boo. that I'm going to right? I thought we were just going to listen to Van Halen now. <laughs> no, not listening to Van Halen. Um, the synth I'm going to choose on top of it, the synth that I think was more influential and um, sort of more relevant to the 80s is the Korg MS-20. All right, Korg. Korg MS-20. So now I can't use Korg on any of my other answers. Um, it's a monophonic synth. It's the cheapest synth on this list. It was one of the more affordable synthesizers. It was actually a pared-down version of something called the ARP 2600. I don't know if you know what the ARP 2600 is. It's the synth that's Isn't about that what we the played size. Space Invaders on in a yeah. video game episode? <laughs> right. It's, uh, <laughs> ARP 2600 was the voice of R2-D2. Oh, okay. And it was this huge wall synth that required all these sort of cables and stuff. They were making a budget version of that. And so the synth was actually made in 1978. So it's out of the 80s, but its influence line is in in the 80s. Um, So let's listen to what this kind of synth sounds like. We'll play a monophonic line of the the Korg MS-20. It's got a funky beat. Yeah, actually, that's not the example I wanted to talk about. But let's talk about that for a second. Um, and I try to keep the example super short so you don't get like sued for um, you know, oh, fair use or something like that. It you don't falls under fair use. about that? Um, Only yeah. YouTube. We're good. <laughs> um, so that's a, that right there, obviously, is a baseline from the Korg MS-20. 
Uh, let's listen to. Now I feel like I'm having an audiology audiology, <laughs> audiology test. Right. Well, I have to click a button. Well, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to listen to the synth. Um, so you get a little bit of taste of what it sounds okay. like. Okay, so when we're so testing. So when I start being, right, right. exactly, because yeah, I'm going to start testing gotcha. you on these synths, and you're going to start to know that. So that's that lead line, right? You can okay. hear that he's playing more than one note at the same time, probably holding down one more than one finger at the same time. But as soon as he does it, those notes drop out, and you're able to get those sort of like lead lick lines right. out of it. Um, but what's great about that is you get this really cracky, grainy sort of sound to it um, that really led the development of genres like industrial and new wave music. Mm. So a lot of bands like OMD or Depeche Mode or Jean-Michel Jarre, Skylab, Daft Punk, mm. Portishead, Frontline Assembly, Electronic Dream Planet, Mr. Oizo, uh, Prodigy, Aphex Twin um, – all of those groups really used extensive use of the Korg MS-20. A lot of those groups uh, people don't know about, but it sort of was the synth that developed industrial music. Right. Yeah, and, and, and folks think, that are into those genres, those are big, those yeah. are big names. Um, and it also did a lot of really cute things. Like, So it has an external signal processor, which is super weird, but it means you can plug a microphone into it and talk into the microphone, and it tracks the pitch of your voice. Like, it'll so just like a vocoder? Start, yeah, kind of like a vocoder, but worse. And it doesn't track it perfectly. So it's like, it's charming in sort of a weird way. So it's not Peter Frampton and Frampton comes no, alive. No, it's, It sucks, but it sucks in like a good way. Okay. It's, hard it's like to a Doctor Who uh, villain yeah. or something. And so it's sort of really useful in creating like broken, noisy sound. Um, and so, and again, trying to take this back to the music that you were talking about. This is, these are since that are examples that, have, that were affected or were used in 80s music? Yeah. Um, so... Like, for example, this is using uh, this example I'll play right here is a Korg MS-20 monophonic synthesizer, but it uses it in a very different way. This is like Blade Runner. Right. It may be Blade Runner. I mean, it may be a synth that was used in... I don't know who did the score for Blade Runner. I don't know offhand. So beyond having just a monophonic synthesizer, let's talk about digital synthesizers. Right, because a digital synthesizer then is instead of having an actual um, analog waveform, what we're doing is we're creating the sound um, digitally before we put it through a D to A converter and it goes out and is an actual analog signal. Digital synthesizers still make analog signals. They just do them after everything's been digitized. So my choice for digital synthesizer of the 80s, most important one of all time, uh, really with a bullet, I feel like there's no other option you can really choose for this. Is the Yamaha DX7. Yes. Okay, now we're getting into the meat of it. Right. The Here DX7, we go. whether you knew it or not, you heard the DX7 probably more than any keyboard in the 1980s. I think there's one. Or maybe two. There might be one or two more that you have heard more than this. Um, one of them is on this list. We could be wrong. We've learned we could be wrong. <laughs> but definitely a super popular synth. So many people, this is the first digital synth that a lot of people used. Um, in the 80s, there was this weird shift with movie soundtracks. Okay. You still had the John Williams stuff with the full orchestra, but a lot of the movies like Blade Runner, uh, one of my favorites is Sid and Nancy. They had more keyboards. Th- thing? So, yeah, actually, I was, well, the thing, actually, yeah, the, the thing the was thing. A really great. I, I love John Carpenter movies, yeah. and, and then, I love John Carpenter music. I was going to say, I don't know if like, folks realize that. Not only does he often write the movies, he certainly directs them and does a score. Actually, he's uh, mainly now today, he's somebody who goes out and performs his own music. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, he does John, a lot of I'd concerts. I'd see a John Carpenter concert. But yeah, that was a, a big thing in the 80s was the shift to 
movies using more synthesizers to give that futuristic feel to the movies. And it's cheaper. And it was cheaper. Because right, you, you don't have, have to a, hire an orchestra. Right. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, and it yeah, and it wound up creating this sound that is associated very much so with eighties. And then you movies. have the. Uh, Can you imagine Blade Runner without synthes- synthesizers? No. I can't or, even or, fathom. Or even if you had a John Williams level score, it doesn't seem like it would meet that minimalistic sort of post semi post apocalyptic. Correct, because world. You, yeah, you have to have that futuristic sound for those movies. But then you also have the other side of it with uh, Axel F, Beverly Hills Cop, oh, yeah. Harold Faltmeyer. Right. <laughs> and you got your Jan Hammers. Jan, Jan Hammers? Of okay. the world. Should we get back to the DX7, or you guys just want to talk about like Blade Runner and movies? <laughs> I mean, like, we can talk about that. I'm, not sure I'm fine going. with that. I'm not sure where it's going. I'm waiting to be tested. We want to be tested. Uh, we got to get through the synthesizers. Uh-huh. All right, so All right. Um, it's the most famous pop digital synthesizer in the world. It's based on the principle of FM synthesis, and that's what creates all these crazy, weird sounds, really biting bass, you know, really great lead lines. Um, and it was bitambral, or at least the second version of the DX7 was bitambral, which means two notes. So they end up sounding a little more clinical, a little colder, darker, um, which is really why they like the DX7 has a really great biting bass because it's like gritty and harsh and cold. But if you look at the the DX7, there's no knobs, right? It's only got like three sliders. And this is because of this newfangled technology called digital buttons. I was going to say buttons. <laughs> right. You had digital buttons, and then you have a little LCD screen that is just small, and everything is loaded into this, like, arcane submenu system that is uh, more labyrinthine than you – you know, than anything you can do with, but the presets were just absolutely fabulous. I was just say, that's, and that's, that's what most guys all just... The, and all of these people I'm going to list right now are people that used, like, just the presets yeah. of it, like Phil Collins or Genesis, right. Steve Woodenwood, Kenny Loggins, Michael Jackson, Cool in the Gang, Tears for Fears, Whitney Houston, Mr. Mr. Commodore Chicago, Aha, Cindy Lauper, New Order, Janet Jackson, Sting, Tangerine Dream, Queen, George Michael, The Cure, Hollow Notes, Men at Work, Lionel Richie... Yeah. Now take a deep breath and continue. New kids on the block. Oh, 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 <laughs> right, oh, oh. Right? I'm those, hanging tough. Even those if all you, sound like 80s bands. Even if you don't like those 80s bands, um, you have to respect the fact that like that simple is that dominant. Whitney Houston. Yeah, in that era. You're not a Whitney Houston. Like, yeah, right. So like, here's what a little bit of the DX7. <laughs> That's Herbie Hancock. Oh. Playing these things. Good old Herbie. And then you're able to load sort of a lot of more smoother sounds. You're listening to the sounds of the Adians. And it's hard to hear if you're not used to listening to these things, but that does have, because they didn't have the memory to really sample at super high rates, um, like they do today. Today is nearly indistinguishable from an analog. Um, to the human ear, but the older ones are a little bit different. For those of you who have had animal ear transplants, you can hear the difference. All right. And the last synthesizer, um, the polysynth. The polysynth is absolutely huge in the 80s. The runner-up, I would say, would be Dave Smith's Prophet 5, okay, which yep. is another super popular polysynth. But I got to give it, with a bullet, the Grandmaster synth of the 80s, the one that everybody uses on okay, every wait. album is it all a time. Is the Roland Jupiter 8. Yes. I knew something. So it wasn't the 808. I couldn't figure out okay. a place for the 808 on this list. But well, I got the Jupiter 8 on it. Jupiter, you have to get the Jupiter 8 on it. It's Roland's first flagship polysynth, and it was built in with sort of patch presets. It has eight voices. It's polyphonic. It has its own built-in arpeggiator. It's got sliders and knobs. And I think the thing about the 
Roland Jupiter 8 is it sort of has everything, right? You can play more than one note at the same time. You can craft something. You can program for it, and it's relatively easy to program for. And it sort of has that warm analog character. What does it really sound like? Please be here. It sounds like... <laughs> Cheesy, warm, dreamy, analog heaven, right? It's so easy to create a soundscape on synths. You know, you, yeah. you almost don't need to know how to play music. I mean, you do, but... Well, I think a lot of bands in the 80s <laughs> didn't know <laughs> yeah. how to play music. Okay, well, Eddie Van Halen was a... He was I a mean, genius uh, on right, so guitar you, and keyboard. You picked but, the one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, you don't... You, yeah, so you didn't have to know much to make things sound well. You can know a chord sure. and you'd be in good shape. Okay. Um, yeah, he agreed. All uh, right, let's say now you get a lot of this as well, like these sort of like ambient textures, and then there's also this lead line that's going to come in, so you can hear what the lead sounds like on this. This is the sound of my dreams. Yeah. Just before I fight someone. Fight! <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then. Um, so the JPA could do that stuff as well, but um, it just has so many different possibilities. So bands that use the JPA, it's more, it's probably shorter to do a list of who didn't use them. Um, but you were talking do about Queen list. before, like Queen didn't use any synthesizer. Right. No, actually, uh, Radio Gaga uses uh, uh, the JPA. Well, they probably didn't say that on that album. I, I, yeah, I was going to sure. say that. I think that came out after he made that bold statement. Yes. Right. He made it, and then he then he heard the Jupiter Eight, and he was like, "Oh my gosh." Uh, Cars, Craftwork, Duran Duran, Tangerine Dream, Simple Minds, Marvin Gaye, Michael Jackson, Ray Parker Jr., Ghostbusters, uh, Stevie Nicks, uh, Tangerine Dream, Harold Fultemeyer, Jean-Michael Jarre, Roxy Music, Flock of, Seagull, Flock of Seagulls, Thomas Dolby, Meat Beat Manifesto, Prince, Elvis Costello, Huey Lewis in the News, Journey, Devo, Yes, and Stevie Wonder. So you said it would be shorter to list the ones that didn't. So those are the ones that didn't. Right. And everyone else <laughs> did. Everyone else did, no. Um, just to give you like just a sampling of those, and that's a lot of different styles and a lot of different bands that were sort of using this. So that is all of my preview of this. I, I feel like, like I I've went too long on this. So, so the test has this. I want you to name the band, uh, the song, the year. Oh no! Here's a hint: they're all in the '80s. Okay. And then oh, so we got a one out of ten. Chance. The synthesizer that they use. Ooh. Now, so, okay. So you have the three options of the DX7, the Core okay. MS20. Or the Jupiter 8. Okay, so we need to... DMX, Korg, or Roland. <laughs> and if you remembered what I said about them, yes. that can help you figure Mono, out the ones. Because uh, some of these right. are tough. Some of these are super easy. Okay. Right, here we go. There's especially, there's especially one on here for you that I put for you. All right, okay. That I know that you're just going to nail. All right, so are you ready? <sighs> so much pressure. Okay. All right. Yes. This is number one. All right, I'm hearing more than one. notes so it's got to be something that's polyphonic now you know what i realized though what if it's a multi-track recording this is okay so it could have been i think it's a korg wait now so you're saying korg that was the second one mm -hmm. so that would be the one that can play two notes at the a time korg is the monophonic one the korg, oh, the korg is, is the monophonic, monophonic so one. we went korg what was the second one? i should have given you cheap Cheat, cheat at least then I should have jotted down. So Korg, what was the second one? Everyone's screaming at the. They're like, <laughs> it's this right now. It's like, <laughs> yes, it's one of the greatest me. synthesizer pieces of right. music ever. So Korg is the first huh. one. Roland is the last one. What yeah. was in the middle? Uh, the middle one was the Yamaha DX7. The Yamaha. Oh, of course, the DX7. Okay. All right. So knowing that it was a multi-track recording, then maybe it was uh, maybe it was the Korg since that was the 
All right, let's say Korg. All right, but what's the band? You think oh, I forgot and, all and about the song, that. and then the year. I have no idea. If you guys have no idea, I'm going to guess ELO. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay, so uh, the artist was Brian Eno. Yeah, I should let me whip this out. Uh, then we should have a list of bands. The song to was guess called too. "In Ascent," which was used on Apollo 13. If you ever seen the Apollo 13 oh, movie, dang it! Mm, and the Kevin synthesizer Bacon. was the Yamaha DS7 oh. because Brian Eno. <laughs> Did all that ambient right. sort of like programming? This is going to be hard. I thought this would be easy. And the year it. was 1983. That we, was all DX7. We've only missed one so far. We're in good shape. <laughs> you always have a way of looking at the bright side. Are you ready for the second one? It, yes. Some of these are easier. <laughs> Ray looks skeptical. Okay. All right. Here we go. We know that. All right. I think we've done this on karaoke night. Yeah, I've done this okay. a bunch of times. All right, so we know the bands, Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Band is Duran Duran. It's uh, Hungry Like a Wolf. Correct. Um, the year is sometime before 1985, because I graduated elementary school, and there was a girl in, in <laughs> elementary school who loved... Am I okay so far? Yeah, yeah, just tease it out. I think it's... Susan, my friend Susan, loved Duran Duran. That's how I remember that. Susie Q liked it, huh? Um, so, hmm. Let's say 84, 83? 1982. But you got all the rest of it. Dang it. it. Okay. Ex- all right. Or except for the synthesizer. Yeah, we, we didn't get the synthesizer. synthesizer. Okay, so. I, I, I Do you want to hear it again? Yeah, let's hear I, it. I want to say it's the Roland because he said that Duran Duran used that. So. Oh, what? Look Did at he? you. I think you heard Duran Duran a couple times. Well, all right. Let's do that then. Yes, Roland. Absolutely. It was good the job. See, Ray has a good you memory. Thought I was, you thought I was asleep over here. No, no. if you pay attention. Like, it, oh, yes. See, Ray will pay attention and remember things. I'll pay attention and I, I just don't remember. Okay. That's why he's good at trivia. Number three. All right. I love that sound. Okay. I don't know for sure who it is because I don't recognize that song, but I'm going to guess who it is. I'm going to guess it's Kraftwerk. It's not a bad guess. Okay. So it's not Kraftwerk. It's not Kraftwerk, <laughs> but I, I'm impressed. It's a Kraftwerk type if you don't, sound. If you don't know that song, I would say that's, that's a really good guess. Yeah. Based on the... Um, you're not going to get the song then. Either. Ear and the quality of the type of sound. I was going to say Kraftwerk, but um, hmm, who else is a Kraftwerk type band or individual? I, I now have another guess. I'm trying to think of what it is. Um, what type of music do you think that would be? Hmm. Oh, you know what? Um, it might be a pop song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not a pop song. Do you think it sounds kind of new wave, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there any? Is this well, how you were going to get synthesizers that uh, maybe I was were actually going to guess Oingo Boingo? Oh, I, I don't see. know why. Well, but. new wavy, I would say the DX7, but I think we've already. You said we can't use one twice, right? No, no, no. That's no, not there's what he said. T- there's ten of these. Oh, I mean, oh, so oh, like, oh, and we're on number three, right? So we're we're going to use. Duplicates. I recall the DX being the big new wavy one, but that one sounds pretty simple. So I'm going to go Korg. Hey, this is your day. Dang it. He's, yeah. Look, this is where he answer right. the questions. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy music. <laughs> Who so, was the band, though? Depeche Mode. Uh, oh, I should have known that. All right. And it was the MS-20. It was 1981. All right. All right. See if you see if you can do this one. This is number And I'm the guy who plays synthesizer. This is just embarrassing on multiple levels. Yeah, it well, see, I had to give you the test. I couldn't give myself the test because then if I get it wrong, it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. So embarrass me. Who's Got this it. guy? Yeah. I embarrass you. Yes. Right. Here we go. Number four. <laughs> Right, we know that. Here's for Peter, right? Here's for Peter. Listen to the bass. That might have been the DX. The Yamaha? No, the... Uh, the Yamaha DMX? Yes, Yamaha DMX. 
I say Yamaha, yeah. And year? I'm going with Ray. I'm not a dummy. <laughs> What's the year? Oh, the year. Oh, you the said. year. That's oh, a... I know the year. I know the year. Year is. This is again elementary school. I, so I started DJing when I was 13 years old. I played this song at I think our eighth one of the dances, either in seventh or eighth grade. So that would have been 84, 85. I'm going to say 83. 85. But Dang everything it. else is right. Everything else is right. <laughs> it's the DX7. It's Tears for Fears. It's Shout. Um, all right. Number five. Hmm. See, I almost would have guessed. I would have guessed that was Depeche Mode. But now that we've had Depeche Mode, I know it's not Depeche Mode. But it has that kind of early Vince Clarky Depeche Mode sound oh, to now it. Now you're starting to hear it, right? Now yeah. you're starting to hear the sound of the synthesizer. Oh, okay. So, right? so, so now Depeche you... Mode used the same synthesizer you're saying. Maybe. Maybe. Which was what? Raymond? Uh, I'm know. thinking... Just go with whatever you think. You know. I think Korg. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a Korg. Um, I feel like this is going to be really Uncanny. hard. Do, or do you guys know OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers I've in the Dark? I, yes, yes, I've yeah. heard some stuff. I don't so, know. So um, Bunker Soldiers was the name of the track, and that was in 1980. It's one of the early industrial sort of albums. Um, let's go to number six. This is for uh, somebody special in here. Oh, of course. Okay. Here we go. Oh, see, now this... Okay, we know the song. Of course. Girls. All right, so that's the Beastie Boys, of course. It's girls. Um, let's see, the year. Let's see, uh, Paul's Boutique came out in 89. Uh, that one came out in... That's gotta be... I would say 86. 83. I was gonna say. No. I would say 86. Licensed to hell? Yeah, 86, 87. I was a freshman in, or sophomore in high school. When I saw them on tour, on that tour. I'll tell you about that another time. Yeah, that's a story for another day. Um, I'm going to say that's an abuse of a Roland. An abuse of a <laughs> Roland? What do you think, Will? Is, are you going to agree with that? Are you going to go with um, abuse of Roland? I think so. Yes, I am. Well, I don't know about the abuse, but... Um, it's a DX7. Oh, okay. Ah, it's oh, a DX7, okay. right? There, a lot of uh, DX7 does bell or... Yeah, see, that's songs. a preset, too. Yeah, it is a preset in there. Um, all, all of the DX7. Yeah, you remind me, it, it, I had the DX7 module. I told you I had the module, and that yeah. was like one of the straight up sounds out of it. I think the Taco Bell bell is also DX7, right? That bong yeah, in the commercial. Is. I think that's a it DX7 I think so, sound. Um, all right. We'll do. Oh, what, what was the year? The year was 1986. You got that yeah. right. Everything was right, there you but, go. but it was the wrong synth. All right. Uh, number seven. Cars. This is the cars. That's the kind of song that I would play. So. Drive? Okay, I remember. Drive. Good. I'm in high school. I didn't know if you'd get this song. Oh, yeah, no, we I love the cars. So, yeah, this is a song. I had like some cars songs on a tape, and I would play these, you know, like, girl just broke up with me, or I'm fighting with my girlfriend, driving around playing the song over and over I, I again. Don't know. I like their happy stuff. Oh, okay. You, know, you might think and stuff. Yeah, like no, that. I did too. Right. But when you're in a mood, you play, you know, okay. A little smooth cars. Yeah. You play that one. And over. <laughs> she doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> You know, pull over under, underneath your, the overpass. Which one do you it's think raining. it is? Now, can I ask you a question? Is it the same keyboard that also is going to play the next, uh, the higher part that comes in? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It is. All right. We're talking about the Jupiter. It is the Jupiter 8. That is a Jupiter 8 mm-hmm. with a bullet. Uh, Instead of the confidence, even though uh, I had 1980. no idea. Um, so, let's see. I was dating her at the time. So I Actually, I think it's earlier than that. So this is You Might Think. think so that's... So. I think that's I think that's eighty seven ish. Oh really? I was gonna say earlier than that. But I'm just guessing. 
It's earlier than 87 because I remember being what you might think was one of the first videos I saw on MTV, and that's pretty earlier in the 80s. That's a trippy video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like the bee. Um, yeah. It's, it's, Buzzing it's, around. It's his future wife uh, yeah. in that, Paulina Paraskova. Um, let's say 80, 84. Got it. Yeah. With a bullet. All right, Got see, it. I'm, I'm finding some skills or strengths of my yeah, own. Yeah, you're, you're coming on Ray. now. You're coming on now. It's oh, a team just, effort. All right. It's like high school. I'm just throwing guesses at the wall. This is the hardest Such one. Confidence. The hardest one on here. Ooh. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> So it's the same keyboard for all the sounds we're hearing. Oh, I should say all the sounds. Obviously, the the rhythms are probably brass. It's the brass. Okay, the brass. brass. All right. So we're hearing more than one note at a time. So it's 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 not going to be the uh, monophonic. Probably not the Korg. Here's how I sort this out. Okay, Michael Jackson can afford the best keyboards. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with the Roland. Okay. And what is that? 84. Yeah. You got it. Um, JP 84 Thriller Michael Jackson. Um, All right. I was going to go with I heard more than two notes at a time because he was playing a straight That's up That's not bad. I mean, chord. you have to think about what those big picture things are, right? Yeah. And like just tear it down. Yeah. So this is track nine. Oh, I love that stereo. I don't see back and forth here. Oh, I don't recognize this song. Yeah. I figured it's, this is hard. You think you know the song? I thought I did, but it, I just have uh, "Men Without Hats" stuck in my head now. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna be hard. I'll All give right. you a hint: it's not "Men Without Hats." Yeah, I didn't think so, <laughs> but now I have the safety dance stuck in my head. Is the safety dance number ten? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know what the group is. I think we were only hearing one note. What kind of music do you think you're hearing? New wave, since that's the last time you <laughs> last. Well, time. No, but early industrial. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Early industrial. This is a, a good example of early industrial music. Right, so who's an early industrial group? Um, Do you guys know Skinny Puppy? No, I've never heard of Skinny Puppy. Well, you have, because I There you go. Now you. I'm going to just download uh, a bunch that of was Skinny Assimilate, Puppy. and that was the Korg MS-20, early example of early industrial music from 1985. And the last track. Right. There is a trick to this track. I okay. will say that. There's, there's it's in reverse. a slight trick to it. There's my boy. Hmm. I could not Trick. do this, right? Obviously, what's the name of the tune? Axel F. That's Axel right? F. And yeah. the artist is? Harold Faltmeyer. Good. And the year? Hmm. Oh, it's the best year ever. Yeah, it's yeah, 1984. It's best year for movies. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's when Beverly Hills Cop came out. Correct. All right, all right so, so now all you have to trick. do is figure out the, hmm. uh, the synth. Hmm. Okay, let's see. Well, I think it sounded richer than the Korg, even okay. though I was going down the monophonic path. I think that's a good choice. Um, maybe I, even fuller than the... I like the Yamaha for this, guess. Yeah, see, I was going to say the Roland. This is the same setup he uses for Fletch, by the way. Yeah, and almost the same, almost the same song. <laughs> almost like the same song, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's very similar. Um, I do like the, those both those scores, though, although it's they're very, um, I don't know, repetitive, I suppose. Not yeah. a whole lot of uh, sections to the... Um, Catchy, so though. I think we're split on this, then. Yeah. So, wait, so he's going Roland... And you're going, I'm going, going Yamaha. Oh, you're going Yamaha. I'm going Roland. It's both. That's the trick. Look That's at the us. trick is the Yamaha is the bass, and then the lead line is the JP8. Look at us go. Good. That was good. That was uh, my only trick question. Yeah, and the bass was the JP8. That's it. I'm done. 
All right. I'm done. Nice. I'm checking out. That was a lot of fun. We thing. probably should be done done, too. So do we want to... Now we need to find out. No, Ray, you well, usually put the right. point directly to our guests. We have proved... Well, well no, we haven't proved anything, because we don't actually... actually oh, yeah, we, don't, we, don't we don't need know. to ask him, because we know. Yeah, we are. Well, I'm going to turn your mic off. No. <laughs> Let me at least... <laughs> so Mike's, Mike's mic is off, ironically. No. Ironically, he's named Mike. Okay. He had more to say. All right, we're... Um, what I was going to say is that I think the the reason why the 80s are so awesome is that because the synthesizer comes into its own. It's the first time that you actually get to use the synthesizer as a synthesizer and not as an instrument that's trying to emulate something else. Wow, that's, yeah. And for that reason, I would say that the 80s are the greatest era for synthesizers. That's amazing. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, Ray, up was, as. Ray was about to say that he had it written down on a card earlier. Sure. So, yes, we have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the synthesizer, synthesizer, I'm going to do that again. We have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that the, the 80s synthesizers were the best. Absolutely. There you go. Very good. I think nothing else needs to be said. Except, right. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And yeah, no problem. we, Ray and I at least, will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. <laughs>